I remember one day there was like a script lying next to my desk, just lying around. And I was bored, so I picked it up. I just read it and I was like, oh yeah, duh, people do this. Like, I watch TV, I watch movies, but it was like a light bulb went off. I got on the computer, ordered, I probably typed in how to write a screenplay. And I read the book from cover to cover and I took the principles of the book and I wrote a screenplay. This is the Act One Podcast. I'm your host, James Duke. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to our little podcast that can and leave us a good review. My guest today is screenwriter Ebony Freeman. Ebony is a native Angelino who got her start in the television industry working for Fox Sports. While at Fox, she won an Emmy for her work on the 2015 Women's World Cup. In 2016, Ebony was chosen as a Sundance Episodic Fellow and was also selected for We For She's Write Her List. She most recently was co-producer on the hit NBC series This Is Us, which we discuss quite a bit on today's podcast. And while on This Is Us, Ebony has been nominated for two Writers Guilds Awards and a Humanitas Prize, which is really cool. Ebony is a wonderful person who I know you will enjoy hearing from, but this is a spoiler warning for you This Is Us fans who haven't watched the final episode yet. Ebony Ebony and I do discuss some things that might ruin it for you, so this is your official spoiler warning. Enjoy. Ebony Freeman, welcome to the Act One Podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Um, you know, we we connected uh, through a you know an Act One alum, and um, we're able to spend some time just you know catching up and talking. And I really wanted to invite you on to the show because I think that your or show the podcast because your your journey I think is a fascinating one. One in which I think a lot of young, aspiring, uh, emerging writers can learn from. And I also just find you to be a fascinating person. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> so That's first always off, good in this business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So first off, let's, let's talk about the, you know, obviously the elephant in the room. I've never known, I've never spoken to someone who just had a long running hit TV show go off the air in the last 24 hours. So we're actually talking, um, uh, we're actually talking, it's been less than 24 hours since the finale, the series finale of this is us, um, aired. So what's that feel like? So you were, you were on the, you were a writer on the show for how many years again? So for four seasons of the show and this is us has been on for six seasons. So I joined in season three. Okay. So you were you are working on a hit TV show for four seasons. What's it like to suddenly have it? I mean, I know for you it's been over with for a while, but yeah. for the audience, <laughs> what's it like? What's it like to post this is us after the finale? Do you have any? Can you explain the feelings or is are there feelings? Is it talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, I think a lot of people have been asking me for like the last maybe like four or five months now, like. <laughs> how do you feel? It's almost over. Like, And honestly, like, even, even with my therapist, like talking about it, 
I'm like, you know, I don't really feel much of anything right now. Like, you know, when people would ask, um, um, because I think, you know, for, for a while, you know, the writer's room, we finished for the most part, we finished breaking the final episode, maybe like, like two months or a month and a half before it was, you know, over, over before this last episode aired, but we were, you know, still meeting up, um, watching cuts of episodes, stuff like that. And so, Every so now and again, we'd still have some work to do, but it, it hit me. <laughs> I was surprised. I got a little emotional just watching it, um, which that doesn't happen to me quite often because I've seen the cuts of the episodes. I've, you know, read this, I know it's going to happen, you know, um, but I think I was a little bit surprised at how emotional I felt about it all. But, and just reflecting back as well on my time on the show and how grateful I've been to work with some incredible people. Um, just thinking about that. And I was looking at photos and stuff, just doing a lot yesterday. <laughs> it was like gradu- was it graduation ceremony or something. Like, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, if I remember correctly, the, the creator and showrunner, uh, it's Dan Fogelman, right? Dan Fogelman. Um, yes. He, I think he had said in in, in, a, in a particular interview a while back or something that he actually knew how the show was going to end back in season one. Um, now that it's um, over with, um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Was was the finale kind of always? Did you guys make any changes to it? And you know, and obviously characters, you know, there's lots of things that have happened between season one and season six. It's such a character driven show, but I'm just curious about. Um, that comment in particular, um, was it, as far as you know, was it still mm-hmm. the, the, the idea that he had to close the show at the very beginning? Yeah. So, and shout out to, we have Dan Fulham as the creator and showrunner. We also have two other showrunners um, who've been on the show since season one. Um, and I believe they came on as showrunners towards the end of season two, but Isaac Aptiker and Elizabeth Berger. Um, they, so yes. So as far as I know, when I came on in season three, I think he had a pretty good idea that he wanted to end the show in season six. Um, and I don't quite know if he knew exactly all the pieces that were going to be there on the final episode, but I will say as about a year or so ago, I think in season five, maybe end of season four, season five, we actually, he, he did you know, kind of start writing pieces of the series finale, because um, for those of you who have seen it or probably will have seen it now on Hulu (laughs) um, or all that, um, we have a lot of stuff that was shot um, a year ago um, that was used in the series finale, because as you know, we have in different, go in different timelines and we have a lot of younger actors who are playing our, you know, the younger versions of our adult actors and the original, you know, younger actors who played the younger versions of the big three, you know, they were growing as children do, um, can't stop, you know, stop them in time. So they were becoming teenagers. And, um, you know, I think that it was an amazing idea on Dan's part to, shoot the stuff ahead of time. So we were able to capture them as they were at that age and almost like time stood still. So I think because of that, when we got into this final season, literally about half of the the final episode had already been shot. So it was just filling in 
um, all of the present day stuff at that point. Wow. That's really interesting. That's <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the writing process for a show like this, where you were, where not only do you have all these different, um, <clears throat> you know, characters in within the family that you have to keep track of with their own storylines, but you have their, their younger selves. So you're, you're, you're jumping in time. Um, what was, can you just talk a little bit about the process in the room of like, was there a way in which you guys kept track of all these characters in the different timelines? Um, uh, what, what was the process in terms of, of knowing kind of where everybody was and, and uh, all the characters were in, in, the, in the process? Yeah. So I think first off, when I first uh, joined, they had already, there was on the wall, like um, above the the board with all of our cards and everything, there was a big timeline that had been created of just like, you know, major events, births, you know, uh, big three were born here, all those different things. But I'll say our script coordinator, who's who um, is now, she was staffed on the show. So she is now executive story editor on the show. She's so amazing because she kind of, she was on the show since season one. She basically is the historian of the show. Like um, she is the keeper of it all. And she knows <laughs> if you have any questions about you're doing something, you're like, hey, have we, you know, said that already? Like, have we established? you know, uh, that someone has, you know, sister is still alive or whatever the case may be. She's the one that, you know, we go to. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult because I think sometimes when we're breaking stuff, we're like, wait, did we, we wrote that was in a script, but did we air that? Can we change that? You know, (laughs) sometimes you can get caught up by things that you've said and you have to stick to as far as the history and the lore and the fans of the show are really good about remembering the lore. <laughs> so they'll call you out. Like yeah. uh, that's 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 one of those things that's very different about television today than it was years ago. And I mean, you know, you'd get viewer mail back in the day, but you guys get <laughs> real time current on Twitter and social media. Hey, why did you let that happen? Why did you, you know? Why'd you do that to Toby? You know, you have all the Twitter. The weirdest thing to me, though, with the this season, as we're done, I've seen some stuff on Twitter about. I think once in one episode way back when they before I think I came on staff, they mentioned that Rebecca had a sister. And for some reason, Twitter was like, what happened to her sister? Why haven't we learned anything about her? <laughs> it's a conspiracy. It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's well, funny. All the details. I mean, it's a good thing that people are so locked into the details of it all. And, and I think that's a big part of the show. Um, we literally, that's the other part that I think when I came on staff, it was very difficult for me at first to um even figure out how to pitch for the show because because it literally is taking place, your stories, your ideas could literally be in any portion or part of these people's lives. It's so broad, also so very specific, but also so broad in where your imagination can go. I think I had to learn kind of how to, you know, get my mind to, to work that way. So, but that's the cool part about it. I find 
it's fun now. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, I know, you, I know, you, I know you can't play favorites, but I mean, when you have a, when you have such an amazing cast, like that's one of the things about this is us, right. It's just such a, such a fantastic ensemble cast, particularly with the big three, but you know, all, all the entire cast, do you, did you uh, did you particularly enjoy writing uh, uh, one one character's voice in particular? Was there was there was there a character that you kind of really identified with that you always felt like you got a little extra something, even you yourself, or or, or even maybe a better way to ask the question is: Were there any characters in the show that you felt like reflected you as you wrote in kind of your thoughts on the world and things like that? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, first off, I've done most of my, so I've written four episodes um, over the course of my time on the show. I usually wrote one episode per season and two of my episodes were sort of specialized episodes, but I've done a couple of episodes with um, Susan Kalechi Watson, who plays uh, Beth on the show. And um, I don't know if I have one character that I, enjoy sort of writing for more, but I would say that, um, you know, with her episodes that I've done with her, um, our little Island girl, and then our little Island girl part two, the, those episodes were really special. And I connected with, um, very deeply on a personal level, um, because it, it goes into sort of her past as someone who a young black woman who wanted to be a dancer. And so that was kind of directly, you know, my life. Um, so when I write, wrote our little Island girl, the first one, it was very much so in a way that I wasn't expecting that I would have that opportunity. It was very much, very personal, very specific, um, in a lot of things that were me. Did they know that when they assigned that script to you, did they know that about you? Yes. So, so the fact that she was a dancer, actually, the funny part is, is that, well, God knew it. Because he, I wasn't even, I wasn't there yet when Dan decided to make, uh, everybody had been wanting to see Beth's backstory and Dan had decided they're going to do it season three. And he, Susan Kelechi Watson has a dance background. And so he thought, oh, let's make her a dancer without any sort of specificity or whatever, just the idea. And um, once I came on staff, uh, and once we got to the point where we were actually breaking the story for that episode, I just started like nobody else in the room had any sort of dance background, not even a little bit, not even like a skosh. Like, so, and I was, you know, new writer on staff. I was, I didn't even know if I was going to get an episode to write that season. That's what I was told by the showrunners. So I was, you know, once that came up in the room, I just started pitching like crazy. I mean, just basically about my life. Uh, you know, studying mostly ballet, being the only black uh, girl in an all white like environment in the ballet world, what that was like for me, how it felt having this dream, um, you know, all those things. And so once a couple of days of that, I remember the showrunners came back in one day to the room and they're like, OK, so Ebony's going to write this episode because none of us know what the heck we're doing when it comes to dance. So, yeah. That was how I got, that was how I got the episode. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the writer's room experience for this is us for, for a lot of um, our audience who are 
you know, they're, who are interested in writing for television. Give us a little bit of the nuts and bolts experience there. So um, you talked about getting that episode. So what does that mean for the uninitiated? So you came on as a staff writer in season three, and uh, you said you were pitching. So what is it? What, what's the process of like who gets to write episodes and how did you get to write episodes? And then if you're not writing a quote unquote episode, what else are you doing in the room? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So um, really, so when I got hired as a staff writer, um, and this was, I can't remember who gave me this advice, but a writer that I knew that was working in the business gave me an advice to um, basically, I was going to have a call with the showrunners on kind of like what they were expecting of me and all that stuff. And, and um, you know, so they, they gave me what they were expecting of me at as a staff writer, which was basically, I would be in the room, um, to, to, you know, take some time to kind of see how they worked. Um, and then, and then, you know, pitch from there. Um, and they told me right off the bat that as a staff writer, because we have like, we do 18 episodes for the show and there's about 13 of us, including, you know, our showrunners. Um, and so most of the higher ups, how it works on the show, most of the higher ups, they do at least two episodes per season. Um, and, you know, Dan Fogelman is going to do the first episode, the last final episode, the showrunners are going to do two episodes, all that stuff. So really it's like, they're like, we may or may not give you one. And also just for the listeners to know, when you get hired as a staff writer, usually it's just a 20 week initial contract. So the show, at least for a broadcast show, is going to go beyond those 20 weeks. And that's basically because they're like, we don't know. We might want to, like, fire you, <laughs> you know, um, right. if it doesn't work out. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, so with the show, um, how they do it is most of, most of all of our jobs, no matter if you're a co-EP or a staff writer, all of our job is basically every day going into the writer's room or being o- over Zoom on a writer's room. And we are breaking story for the episodes. Um, <clears throat> and basically once, depending on what, you know, the showrunners decide as we're breaking story, sometimes it's decided before they pick, they decide that which writer is going to take that story and go off and write it. And, um, and yeah, so some shows I've heard from other people, um, other writers that I know, some shows actually um, group write episodes I've heard where, you know, I think one person does get the the credit, but they break it up and, and sort of kind of do it that way. But with our show, it's very much, um, if you're not in the writer's room, you're probably doing these things. You're, you're off on an episode, writing your episode, or you might be in production. So with our show as well, we got the opportunity to, if once you write the episode, you're also producing it. So you're doing all the things um, to produce the episode. You're going to all the meetings from, you know, costumes to uh, props to all that stuff, tone meetings with the director. And so you, if you're not in the writer's room, you might be on set, you know, for your episode. So that's essentially, but again, that's like the, maybe the writing process is about a month of your time there, but and then being on set is, you know, another couple of weeks or so. So most of my time is actually was actually in the writer's room breaking story on whatever episode we were at that point. 
you know, I always find the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the hierarchical nature of a writer's room so fascinating and that, you know, there's these, these steps yeah. and these roles that, you know, and, um, and, and yet what I've also always found fascinating is uh, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of different people about their writing room experiences, including showrunners and, and there, there, there tends to be some consistent things I, I hear. One is, um, that writers rooms can be very tough because 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 you're in there every day with each other and you're just literally you're just talking you're just talking all day to each other about your lives about what's going on about the story like you're you're all you're all mining right each other's lives for yeah. stuff that you can write for the characters right um so it can get tough right i've heard it can get very tough and intense but then the other thing i've also ever always heard too is that writers are so generous with new and upcoming writers like older right seasoned writers tend to always try to appreciate and value the hard work that young writers put into it. And they, if they, if they see the work being put into it, they'll help them mm -hmm. along the way. <clears throat> I'm just curious, was that your, on this show, was that, did that does that ring a bell? <laughs> or did, did, was your experience <laughs> similar in both of those ways? Yes, um, most definitely. I think like number one, we were talking about just the nature of, of being in the writer's room for, and this is before Zoom, when we were together in person for eight plus hours. Um, you know, it. I think I was shocked by how I would go home and and feel exhausted, just like my brain. I'm like, my brain like hurts. Like I'm not used to, like, you know, it's like, I wasn't running around doing anything. Like, you know, it's pretty, you're, you're sitting there in a chair this whole time, but like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted because I've just been thinking all day and, you know, solving problems and all those things. And sometimes it can get really emotional, especially on our show. If you can imagine the kinds of <laughs> issues yeah, that we shocking about. <laughs> shocking the writer's room for this just in breaking news the yeah. writer's room for this is us got emotional every once in a while <laughs> right shocker right um so there were there were a lot of moments that you know where you are being incredibly vulnerable to other people on your staff to your coworkers in a way that you, any other probably job or whatever you wouldn't be um, and I think that when I first joined, um, it was like you said, like, at least on this show, it was definitely everyone very much so welcomed me and, it's, you know, and with our higher ups, um, definitely were there to, you know, offer advice, um, you know, just if, if you had any, because the thing is you have your showrunners, right. And they're doing a million and one things. They're, they're, they are busy. Um, they've got a lot going on. And so I think what's really great about those who are like the co-EP level, who a lot of the writers who are co-EP level, they might've had their own shows at some point, which on our show, we have a couple of writers who, you know, they've been writing for a while and just like seasoned veterans in the business. And so it was really great to be able to um, come to them with, whether it's questions about, you know, kind of like getting feedback from them on how you're doing in the room, if you're not quite sure, or even like questions about the business, um, you know, for other things um, that you may need a little bit of advice for. So I definitely got that. 
Um, I, I still get that. <laughs> I still, I mean, I text, you know, the writers on the show that are like, you know, I consider, I really admire them and I admire their advice. And especially now that I'm going into like developing and stuff like that, I'm constantly <laughs> bothering and asking questions and, Hey, you know, you know, what should I do about this? Or can I see what you did for this and all those things? So, um, yeah, they, they've been an amazing help and I've learned a lot from all of them. All right. So this is my last, this is us question. Then we'll move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I know there's a lot of, this is us fans out there. They want that. Okay. So from, and this is just your opinion. So this, that you can, you can take, you can answer this however you want. You know, if it was conversations in the room with other people or just you, just you as a writer and a, and I'm assuming you were also a fan of the show. Maybe you hated the show. You, I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> Um, you know, post the finale, um, what do you think, um, what do you think life looked like for the big three going forward? Like if there was an, like, where, where, where do you, you know, do you, did you guys talk about that or just you yourself? Like just, you know, as a fan as yeah. of the characters, like, what do you think uh, happens to the big three, um, going forward? Well, I think that. It's interesting because the show, when the show starts, the character, Kevin's character, he's sort of the most, um, Randall is incredibly successful as well in his career and in his family and all that stuff. But Kevin is like the super, he's like the actor, he's rich and famous and all those stuff. And I think it's really interesting that by the time we get towards the end of the, the series, Kevin is living a simpler life. Um, He is sort of, um, you know, not so much in the limelight or worried about being the limelight like he was. He is, you know, finally settled, married. He has children, all those things that he's wanted. And so, you know, I'd imagine that, that, you know, I think that's what, you know, sort of their lives are going to look like. I think Randall and the way that we envision him and for those that, watch the final episode um you know he makes a comment about the dnc and all that stuff and so i think in our brains you know we didn't want to go there and just say it we didn't you know um but i think he has i would envision that i don't know if he would become president of the united states but i you know i think he would definitely run um and i think he would have some sort of long career in politics and um you know just sort of take kevin's place as being in the limelight in sort of his later years of his life. Um, And, and yeah, and I think Kate, you know, she's, we say it, you know, she's, she's doing a lot as far as the music school and, and, and working with, you know, the blind and all that stuff. So I think, you know, her trajectory is probably similar to that. Um, I didn't really envision much more, but, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I think, yeah, Randall, Randall is going to be a really, really big deal. And um, yeah, so. I, okay. I do have one more question, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, it's more of a comment too, but just curious your thoughts. I, I think in addition to just great writing and great um, acting that made the show so popular, um. Uh, there's not a lot of shows that really celebrate like there's a lot of families. I mean, there's a lot of shows that actually show families, but, but this is us truly celebrates family. It celebrates family bonds. It celebrates 
um, what unites people, what divides people. Obviously, it talks about even uh, family outside of blood family. You know, like there's there's these bonds that connect us and make us family, and it's and it's really celebrated. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that because in the end, that's what I think is one of the biggest takeaways of the show is that there was this real sense of of uh, everyone's family is unique and different and special. But in the end, um, when family works, when family works well, it works really well to the benefit of, you know, everyone in the family, there's this real sense of love and acceptance and community inside a family. Yeah, I think I have to agree with, with everything you said. And I think that's why um, for me, I loved Dan Fogelman's dis- decision, creative decision on how he did, you know, ended the show on that final episode, because I know like, you know, the train, you know, when Rebecca passes, that's, you know, such a creative moment. It's such an emotional moment. And, um, you know, I absolutely love that episode as well. But I think like our final episode is very indicative of like what our show has been as a whole. Like it's about it really, at the end of the day, it's about um, the bonds of family and the small moments and those things that, you know, those milestones, like, I mean, even just the, the scene of them, if sh- him teaching them to shave and like, that's really what the show is, in my opinion. And yes, we've done all the flash forwards and the future and the mysteries kind of and all that stuff. And, and, um, but I think at the end of the day, like when you think about the legacy of the show, that's what I think about is like when you watch This Is Us, it makes you, it takes you back to your childhood. It takes you back to like what it felt like to sort of go through the growing pains that we're watching the big three go through. And then for those who are experiencing parenthood now, they're, you know, they're experiencing all those things that the big three are experiencing. Um, and I, I really love to the, the, his decision to sort of, you know, a lot of it was, uh, it ends on Randall looking at Deja and her future grandchild and his future grandchild. And in the past it's Jack and Randall. And I think that was a really interesting choice too, because those are the two adopted members of, you know, sort of that family, but even so not being blood as Deja is carrying on um, the, the, the Randall's history of William and all that stuff. So it, so did Randall, you know, sort of carry on really like the Jack legacy. Um, So, yeah. So that's why I just, I, I just love, love, love how Dan, you know, put it together and, and, and wrote that. I just thought it was really, truly beautiful um, and yeah, it just gives you those nostalgic, uh, feelings about what it means to be a family and, and all of that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really do think that that's, and I think about even the, the, there's another show that ended the same time you guys did, which I also, it was blackish, right? Like blackish, yeah. same thing, right? Celebrated families, specifically yeah. the black family experience. But I mean, it was a show that I could watch with my kids. I mean, it, because it, family dynamics are universal. And, um, and it was a ridiculously funny show. And, um, and so, yeah, it's interesting that both shows are ending at the same time. 
Um, <clears throat> I think that did it air opposite you guys? Now that I think about it, I wonder did it air opposite? This is you know what? I don't know because I feel like Blackish switched times a few times. Like I think they did. I, yeah. I feel like we've always been on Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, at least since I joined, we've always been on Tuesdays. But and I feel like Blackish was like Thursday at one point. Yeah. And I don't know. But yeah, I think so. Another really great, yeah. Um, let Let's talk a little bit about um, how you became a um, a screenwriter. You You grew up in the church. Was Was the idea of being working in Hollywood and being a professional screenwriter uh, in your family and in where you grew up? Was that something that was um, accepted and normal? Was that Was that Did that and, and was that even something you were interested in as a young person? Because I know you obviously you were in the arts because you were a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, or was this something that came to you uh, uh, later, your passion to write? Yeah, so I grew, you know, growing, I grew up in L.A. And and um, surprisingly so, even though, well, I had a bit of a childhood on the East Coast. But from like 11 on, I was in L.A. And I got to say. I've never not once thought about working in Hollywood. <laughs> in the like, it did not That's great. even, it wasn't even a thought in my mind. Now, granted, I didn't, there was no one in my family who, you know, did that or was any, on my mom or my dad's side, there was really no connection that we had to the business. I think one of my brother's like um, best friend's, he, he was an actor. So that was probably the only like actor we knew. And he, he had done some stuff. Um, but yeah, like truly it had not crossed my mind. And really at the time I was most of my early school years, really through high school, I was very much interested in dance and I very much wanted to pursue that as a career. Uh, and so when I quit in high school and I went off to college at the University of Michigan. I really was one of those students that had no, I like absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I jumped from like physical therapy. I thought maybe I want to be a physical therapist because maybe that will allow me to work with dancers and, and keep, you know, keep in that, that world. And then when I decided that wasn't for me, um, I sort of moved into like a more communications major. And it, it was sports management and communications. So it had sort of a side of like sports business. But, um, you know, even doing that, I sort of threw myself into that because I really just didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I was like, sports is a lucrative business. Like, you know, I, I guess <laughs> like so when I tell you I worked for the athletic department, I, I mean, I was I was in it. I was trying to make it make it work. Um, but the summer before my senior year, I had an internship. I came back out out here to LA. I had an internship, um, for FX, which was on the Fox lot. So now I'm like in that world. Um, it's in publicity and, um, I was really like, you know, it was a small department at that time. Um, this was like over 10 years ago. So I'm sure they're bigger now. Um, but they, you know, I worked for them and and I was sort of bored because they didn't have much for me to do. Um, and so I just, I remember one day there was like a script lying next to my desk, just lying around and I was bored. So I picked it up. I don't even know what it was for. I think it was like for a show that didn't quite get on air or something like that. 
But um, I just read it and I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like, oh, yeah, duh, people do this. Like, <laughs> I watch TV, I watch movies. But it's not like how it is now where, like, with everyone's obsessed with knowing who wrote the stuff. Like, writers, right. people weren't, you know, you, right. you knew directors, you knew who, you could name directors, you knew who Spike Lee was, you knew who right. Steven Spielberg was, you know, all that. Um, and so... I just, it was like literally when it was like a light bulb went off, like an aha, you know, as Oprah would say, <laughs> moment. Someone, someone like, actually, someone actually gets paid to write these things. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, cool. So then I literally, when I say I got on the computer at work, <laughs> went on Amazon, or, and this was before Amazon Prime. So, you know, ordered the, ordered, I probably typed in how to write a screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the first book was came to my house and I read the book from cover to cover and I took the principles of the book and I wrote a screenplay and it was about write what you know it was about being a, a resident advisor at a, a midwest co- a college in the midwest um and that was basically what it was about and um I enjoyed the process and so I was like okay hey let me write another one and so I wrote a second script. And by that time, I was like, well, I really like this. This is really cool. I think it was tapping into something creative that I, a creative outlet. I mean, I was always creative. I, I danced. I was, you know, so it was just like, oh, this is, I really find this to be fun. So when I went back for my senior year at Michigan, I enrolled in um, a, a screenwriting course in the film school for the, for the first, my first semester back for my senior year. Again, like just my favorite class. I was so excited about it, so into it. We, I wrote another original screenplay. And then basically that class gave me a lot of like confidence that, oh, maybe I have a little bit of a knack for this. And I think my professor was very encouraging. And so the second semester, my final semester before I graduated, I took um, their sort of uh, second class after that class, which is where you rewrite the script that you wrote in the first uh, class. And so by that time, um, by the time I was getting ready to graduate, I was very much like, I'm moving back to LA and I'm going to be a writer. Like that was the point where I like said it out loud. Like, um, and I feel like my parents were like, all right. Like, (laughs) I mean, I don't, you know, they didn't like, they were very encouraging. I think they were very much like, well, you got to get a job. Like, obviously I knew how to get a, like a job and there were bills to be paid. I had student loans to pay off. So there was never like, I was never that type of person where it was like, blah, they blah. I'm just going to like, kind of, you know, so yeah, I came back and, um, I think naively, I thought it, after that first year I was going to, you know, sell a screenplay and make millions. Um, and it took, almost 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, that was basically the process, but, uh, and, it and was, yeah. <laughs> so you were, you were in college when you discovered this passion and what was it, you, you know, you mentioned you really liked it. And so you wanted to do it again. What was it that you yeah. liked? I mean, you talked about it being a creative outlet, but I'm just curious in terms of when you find something new, what is it that makes you want to go back to the well and do it again and again? What, 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 I don't know if you can remember those feelings, remember those thoughts, but what was it that made you want to say, you know what? I liked this. I want to write again. Yeah. I think I just like, I think it was the storyteller in me. Like, 
even as a dancer, I was always, I think I'm more so skewed on the, you know, I think if I pictured my life as a dancer, it would probably be more as a choreographer. Like I would probably be one of those dancers that dances professionally for a little while, but quickly goes into the, the choreographer route. I was more into telling stories in that way. And so I think when it came to the screenplay of it all, I just, I really enjoyed telling stories related, mostly for me, relatable stories about things that were connected to my life. And, um, you know, I thought I was pretty good at, uh, pretty good at, you know, developing characters. And so I think it was just, I think what drew me to it was I felt like I had a knack for it. And, um, you know, I think that was one of the reasons why I kept pursuing it is because I felt like, and I felt like I was getting positive feedback from other people that like, Hey, you, you know, obviously you have to keep developing your craft, but that I have something there that was worth developing, I guess. Um, yeah. Why did you quit dancing? Because I knew I wasn't going to make it as a professional dancer. (laughs) I truthfully, I, I like how I, I, I like how practical and realistic you are. I love it. Uh, but but why, why what made you yeah. what made you how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, so I was very much on um I danced like I got into it like six or seven years old. And um when I got to be like eleven or twelve, I got really into it where I was on like a uh, I went to, I was in Devion Dance Academy for a little while um, when I, when I got to like 12 years old. And that is very much like a semi-professional track as far as like, you're taking 16, 18 classes a week. Um, you are like, yeah, you, it is your life and you are really training um, on a high level with high level teachers to, you know, go into the professional, uh, professional world. And so I think once I got there, um, and I, I, one thing about me, I was a very hard worker. I I worked very, very hard. And I knew that about myself and my teachers saw that in me and all that stuff. But I recognize the, cause the thing about dancing is, you know, yes, you can work hard, but there are certain things physically and certain natural abilities that you just, you need to have. It, it, you need that part and then you need the other part. But um, I think I recognized in myself, there were certain natural abilities that just, it was going to make it very, very, very difficult for me. And so it just, I think it made me um, a little bit, uh, it's, it sort of made me lose a little bit of my love of it at the time. Because as a teenager, I'm like, I love this so much. I work so hard. I'm dedicating my life, young life to this. And, and I, why don't I have the things that these other young dancers have? I wish I had, you know, her feet, her legs, her whatever. And so I think I got disillusioned by it. And so that was the reason why I quit. I was just like, I don't think that I can uh, realistically put more years of my life into uh, really because the dance world is just as kind I mean that's a cutthroat world it's hard world and so I feel like you know I just didn't think that I had it in me <laughs> essentially <laughs> I I've, I've known some dancers in my in my life and I, I uh, some of the best storytellers I know 
uh, or have known um, have been dancers. Like the, the, I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of that. I also know that they all have feet problems. <laughs> they, they, they all have That's bad problems. Problem, you know, what kind of dancer Jeez. were you? <clears throat> so I'm mostly, um, mostly ballet. Um, and, uh, but do you still, do you still have feet? Did you quit enough or do you still have feet problems? So? Oh, I don't have any feet problems because I quit. So I didn't do when I got into point, which is what creates all those problems. Yeah. I probably did a point for about maybe three, three or four years before I quit. And so, um, and even then I wasn't, when we were at, when I was at the band dance Academy, we were doing ballet, but we were also doing modern and jazz and all, and it was a little bit more well-rounded. And so I wasn't on point shoes like ballet dancers are all day, every day, um, yeah. essentially. Um, so my feet are, are perfectly fine. <laughs> For anyone who wants to know, I feel yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Inquiring, Maya, that's weird, but okay. Yes. <laughs> um, TMI, sorry. Right. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, so you, um, so in that, you mentioned, you know, it, uh, that kind of that ten year journey for you, um, which is something we talk about at Act One a lot. Um, so inside that ten year journey, you actually you had a career, you had a different career, and so you were you were writing, right, developing your writing career, but but full time you were going to work at 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 a Fox Sports or something, right? Isn't that right? Yes, yes. I had a whole career. Like when I tell you, I so I started pretty early on when I graduated. I ended up getting a job at Fox Sports, um, basically from my connections from the internship from knowing people in HR over there. And so um, I got an opportunity to be an executive assistant to the um, EVP in graphics um, at Fox Sports. And so I didn't know anything about graphics, but it was an executive assistant job I didn't need to. Um, And so I was like, great, I can do this. It was a very much like eight to five job um, and I can write. And I really genuinely thought that like, maybe I would be in the job one to two years max, and then I would transition to writing. But, um, you know, that as the year after the first year went by as executive assistant, the my boss, he, he liked me. And so he offered me a promotion as a coordinator. And so I was like, okay, great, more money. Like, so I moved to coordinator and then, you know, do I did that job for a year or two. And so basically my time at Fox Sports, I ended up while I'm writing, I ended up moving up in the department um, all the way to producer level. And so by that time, when I was like a producer level, I was really, um, you know, I had my own projects that I was, was working on. I worked the Women's World Cup. Um, I, you know, I was really doing well at Fox Sports. And I think even though I was writing and, and at this time I was mostly writing features, um, I wasn't really seeing much, you know, there would be little here and there where, you know, like, oh, I got a manager now. Okay, great. I have a manager. That's a win or whatever. Or, oh, I'm a part of this new writers group. And, you know, this is, this is really going to help me get a little bit further, you know, in my craft and all that stuff. Oh, I have an interview for a showrunner's assistant. or I have an interview for a writer's assistant. Then don't get the jobs, you know? So it was a lot of those things happening. Um, and it just not, not enough, nothing really was happening. And so 
I just kept taking the the bumps at Fox Sports, kept taking the promotions because, you know, why why not? Um, and I genuinely liked the people that I worked with. I mean, I really liked the people that I worked with. Like, I'm still friends with them today. Like, I still talk to my managers and my bosses. And my, that's how much. <laughs> but that's great. That's that's, that's yeah. really good. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, but yeah, really, it was a crossroads for me. It got to the point where, after I worked at the Women's World Cup, I remember that summer. I mean, and that was a hard, that whole Women's World Cup, that was a lot of work. And I remember after it being a success and I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I should just do this. Like, maybe this is, you know, maybe this is the crossroads of me deciding, like, get rid of writing once and for all and just pursue this career at Fox Sports because people liked me. I was just like, I could really go far here and, and probably be fine. Um, and I remember actually my, uh, a boyfriend that I had at the time, he was like, he's, a, it was an entrepreneur and he gave me, um, a podcast to listen to. It was, um, Dave Ramsey had, you know, he has multiple stuff, but he had a podcast entree leadership, which is mostly geared towards like salespeople. And, um, I listened to this podcast this one episode and it talked about, it's basically him talking to these sales people who are complaining about their results and all this stuff. And he's basically like, basically like telling them you're not doing enough. Like you're, you know, why don't you basically put so much activity, so much work within, he says a 90, it was a, a three month period, put so much activity that literally creates a combustion. And I'm probably not saying this completely right, but I remember it was just like, Go, go, go as hard as you can for three months and then and then come back and tell me you don't have any results. And so it just clicked with me and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll try that. This will be my last sort of hurrah and see, you know, if this is really what I want to do. And that's what I did. I literally I wrote as many scripts as I could. I just just started writing scripts after script after script after script. And I also, one of the big things that I did at that time was I changed from writing screenplays to TV pilots because I felt like at that time, what was happening in the TV landscape was really exciting. There were stories that were being told that I wanted to tell Black women at the forefront of these stories. And I was like, okay, this is the medium that I want to be in. And so those two things together, changed to TV, um, you know, just put... Like I was put where I was like, you know, kind of a hermit in a, in a little cave. Like if my friends were hitting me up to do anything, it was always, I can't, I'm writing. I can't, I'm writing. I was, that was constantly like, I didn't do anything for three months. And one of the scripts that I wrote out of that three month period, I applied to a bunch of TV fellowships and I got into the Sundance episodic lab and that changed everything. So that was really trajectory that's great because excuse me um you 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 said a lot there in terms of just i think a a lot lot, there's a lot to to for people to process who might be in a similar um similar situation because you know a couple things one is um you know i always i've always told people um in any kind of space work begets work begets work beget work in other words take the job, 
right? Like, don't just sit around. Don't just say no to every opportunity that comes your way and just sit around hoping and waiting for the opportunity, right? Like, mm-hmm. instead, if it's a legitimate opportunity, I'm not saying, you know, go do any single thing, but I'm saying, like, work does beget work. It leads to other work because more times than not, especially in our business, so much of that work comes from relationships and people who meet you oh, in yeah. other contexts and they, and they, you know, they, they will let people know, or they will let you know about an opportunity, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but the other thing too, is you're gaining skills, you're gaining, you know, as a writer, you're, you're living, you know, it's lived experiences that create a deeper well in which you can write mm-hmm. from all that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, you got to pay the bills. So you yes. know, like, it's kind of important, you know, um, no starving artists around here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, that to me uh, speaks volumes, right? So if you're listening to this podcast and you're sitting in your mom's basement and you're, <laughs> <laughs> and you repeat, <laughs> And you're refusing to go out and get that job because you want to write the next great American mm-hmm. screenplay. I think Ebby and I are saying together, go get a job. No, I'm just kidding. Get uh, a job. No, just <laughs> that's right. Go get a job. Um, but no, more than that, like, I, I think one of the things I think is great about your, your journey is um, you, you, you actually said to yourself, I'm going to go until I can't go anymore. And then, and then you talk about this idea of hitting it really hard for a certain period of time. And I think that's kind of pretty awesome. Um, what, when you were just, when you were just trying to crank out scripts, right. When you were just like, I'm going to hit it hard. I'm just going to crank out these scripts. Um, what were you using as kind of a gauge um, that what you were writing was you know, any good was worthwhile, uh, you know, like, uh, because that's the other thing that I hear all the time, Well, I don't have anybody to read my stuff. I don't have anybody to tell me, you know, and yet here you are, you're just like, okay, fine. I'm going to go an intense period of time. I'm just going to write, 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 write. What, in, what, what was a gauge for you? How did, you know, what was that process like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So yeah, during that time when I was going, 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 cranking out as many scripts as I can, I was actually involved in a writer's group. And so I would say during the period of those 10 years, I, I have been involved in a handful of writers groups over the years through people, relationships that I have made, people that I knew who knew that I, you know, wrote and wanted to write and, you know, would sort of be connected that way. So I remember that particular year I had had a friend of a friend. Actually, we met, we met through a friend and at a, a thing, a writer's thing. And he was starting up a writer's group and he invited me to join. And so during that, and they were all also mostly, there was one person who mostly did screenplays, but everybody was mostly um, trying to get into the TV space. And so um, I think that was really important for me because I had, you know, transitioned to wanting to do that. And so we would meet once a week um, and we would turn in pages. And so everything that I was writing, they were reading, they were giving me notes. um, And that was for that particular pilot that I um, applied to the fellowships for. They they read that pilot. They gave me notes on that pilot. um, And that was how I workshopped it. Um, And, you know, I think even though 
you know, obviously as a writer's group, we're all, you know, everyone is sort of doing the best that they can because they're not working in the business yet. So they're, they're, we're all working off the knowledge that we have. Um, and I think that's, that's great. And that'll get you far. And then of course, when you do break into the business, you'll learn a lot more, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll learn a whole yeah. nother. Whether you, whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> whether, that's why I always tell writers too. I think, I think a lot of writers um, sometimes are pretty bent on why well, I have to get my script and get notes from a, a working writer. Like right. I need them to like, and I'm, I never did. I never did. And I think number one, it's, that's very hard to do because, you know, people are busy and, and you can't just be giving your scripts that. So I think like, you know, it, it goes really far. It'll get you really far to find a dedicated group of writers as yourself who have the work ethic that you have yep. um, and um, who can workshop your, your scripts. And I think that, um, again, sh- agents for, for new writers, showrunners, I'm sure when the showrunners for This Is Us read my script, I'm sure they could have gave me a million different ways I could have done better on it. But what they were looking for, yes, I had a, a, a concept of, of the craft and, and of writing a script and scenes and all that stuff. I had the technical stuff down, but I think more than anything, what they got from my script was who I was as a writer, my yeah. voice, my point of view. And that's what I think left off the page. Um, and so I think don't get bogged down by the, the, I have this thing and, and I have to have this, you know, professional give me notes or else I'm not going to go far. I think that's, that's not true. I think so. that's really, that's really good advice. I, I can't, I can't agree with you more. Try to find writers, similar writers at your level with your passion, with your work ethic to write, to write, to be in a writer's group with where you're reading their stuff, they're reading your stuff. That makes a, makes a huge, that makes a huge difference. Um, You touched on this a little bit. Um, One of the things that I've heard a lot uh, of people I've talked with is um, particular, you know, for writers, particularly for television, um, but, but all writing in general is POV is really important, right? Like finding your voice and um, and having having a particular point of view is really important. Um, could you break that down for us just a tiny bit from your understanding of what? Why is that so important for a young emerging writer to develop? Yeah. So I think. First of all, it was something that didn't really click for me until like literally when I started writing for TV and that and that sort of clicked because when I started writing TV pilots, the reason why I wanted to do it, I I thought to myself, I said, first of all, for the last whatever, seven, eight years, I've been writing these screenplays that haven't been getting any traction because really, quite frankly, I was writing stuff that I thought, you know, was popular. Um, I was writing stuff where I thought, oh, this, this with the idea of this would sell. Um, and, you know, I was not really writing necessarily what I was passionate about or what, you know, really was specific to me as a person. And so 
when I asked myself that question, what would I want to watch on TV? Then that was when I came up with a story that was incredibly personal to me. Now, it wasn't like, you don't have to have something that's like ripped from your life or like ripped from the headline sort of thing. But it was personal to me because it was very specific to the people I knew, to the way in which, from my perspective, um, you know, people interacted or were. Um, it was just my point of view on life and the world, I think, in that script was very specific um, and also authentic. So when you, you know, the reason why it's so important is because in whatever you do, let's say for TV, your showrunners, let's say for This Is Us, we have a show, they're looking for, you know, we have a show about a family with these different sorts of characters that are going through, you know, one has weight issues, one has, you know, one's adopted all this stuff. So you want to have a writer's room that um, has a diverse, at least more now they're thinking this way, a more diverse uh, point, you know, a, a diverse thought process. And so that's how you, you know, you get these stories that you get because we've all lived completely different lives. And I think, you know, when they read my script, um, which was very, very Black woman oriented, like from that lens um, and that point of view, um, I think that it just resonated. And so that's why I think, you know, when when writers ask me, like, what's the one thing that I can tell them to do? It's, my goodness, write... Um, Write something that you are, again, doesn't have to be about an autobiographical account of your life, but something that is specific to you in some way, shape, or form, um, because you're going to write it better. <laughs> you're just going to, okay? You're going to write write better. You're going to write, it's going to be more specific. It's going to feel authentic to people. Um, and it's just going to leap off the page and it's going to, uh, make you, um, desirable to those that are going to be hiring you to tell stories. So, yeah, what you know, makes, that's what I, yeah. What makes your script unique is your own uniqueness, right? Like, yes, like it's if, you. yeah, it's you. And like, if I'm reading, if I'm reading 10 different spec scripts, um, the one that's going to stick out. Because they might, they're probably all at a similar quality level in terms right. of, you know, they're written competently or, 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 you know, they're, you know, whatever. But, but the more unique yours is, that's yeah. actually what's going to make it stand out and taking people, the reader will take notice. And, and, and yeah, it's the other thing too is even thinking about this now as like, um, being out of the writer's room and going into development when you are, so it's like, you think of this idea. That's why I think it's people sometimes are so um, uh, precious about ideas. And I think especially like newer writers, they like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't tell you my idea because you know, that's gonna, that's the thing. And I don't want anybody to steal it. But when you think about point of view, it's like you, we could literally say, I'm writing a show about uh, a black female true crime detective in the South. Like we could both have those same ideas. And because of 
how different we are, we will attack those two ideas completely differently. Yeah. And, you know, that's a thing that comes along when you are going into meetings and you're developing and you're going out for like open writing assignments. Producers want to know you're you're basically pitching your take on something, how you would take the idea, the book they want to turn into a movie, whatever. And you're saying this is how I would do it. You know, like there's this book and they're meeting with whatever, how many writers and every single one of those writers, because of who how different we are, we're going to have our own way specific way of how we see that story and so when you think of point of view I think even more now I I see the importance of that and the importance of of how that works so yeah I a friend of mine says people always think like when they uh, think of like you know the Tarantinos or the Sorkins of the world and they go um oh you know it's the way they write dialogue that um, you know, that's their voice. And, it, and, and, and he's like, nope, that's not their voice. That's just the way they write dialogue. Uh, it's the way they view the world. It's the way they view the world. And, and more specifically, um, the way they view those characters, the way they view those characters in that world and, um, and how um, their, their own unique perspective on the world um that that is what's going to get reflected in the art form, you know, like um, even, you know, like I even think even for you as a dancer back in the day, right? Like um, the, you would interpret a mm-hmm. song, right? You would interpret um, you, the, you would, you know, your, your body would move to the, to the, to the music, but what you were interpreting was actually your understanding of the emotional experience of that song, what the, what the lyrics were saying, right? And I think that's what we do as mm-hmm. artists, right? We do that as artists, we do that as writers, we do that as storytellers, as filmmakers, and that's kind of the power of the, the, um, the yeah. beauty of the arts, you know. And we can and we can help pro- help we can help other people, um, the audience process their own em- emotions. You know, this is what you know. We go, we're going back to the old school days with Aristotle and the idea of catharsis, and like mm-hmm. to actually give the audience this this cathartic experience where they can. Um, process their emotions in, in an outlet. And, you know, you, you were on a show that was very well known for <laughs> allowing people to have cathartic experience. Um, Ooh, yeah. so this, has been, this has been great, Ebony. I really enjoyed um, our conversation. And um, I think there's so much that I think people can learn from your journey and just your, um, I'm just so impressed with you. And one of the, one of the things that I enjoy about doing this podcast is that I think I'm introducing to our audience individuals who need our prayer. And I think just the fact that people will get to know you through this podcast, just know that you'll have people praying for you and, uh, and praying for these opportunities for you and all this good stuff. So Ebony, thank you so much for uh, being a, being a part of this. And uh, we really appreciate your time. And if it's okay with you, I always close my podcast by praying for my guests. Would you allow me to do that? Yes, of course. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pause and um, just stop and thank you for who you are and what you do, have done for all of us. And um, God, we thank you for your goodness. And, uh, and I just want to thank you now for Ebony and thank you for just her, her life and her talent and just her giftings, um, the way she just to bring so much joy into the room. And um, God, I just pray a blessing upon her. God, we pray that you would 
um, just go before her and uh, uh, with all these different opportunities and God, that you would um, uh, just give her just an amazing space to do great things in this business um, as a writer and creator. And God, I pray you would fill her with your creativity and fill her with your imagination and that she would uh, be so inspired to create uh, that it would just be uh, uh, just a huge overflow. And um, God, we just pray that you would uh, protect her, watch over her um, uh, through all of this. And and we just thank you for this opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name and your promises we stand. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Act One Podcast. Celebrating over 20 years as the premier training program for Christians in Hollywood, Act One is a Christian community of entertainment industry professionals who train and equip storytellers to create works of truth, goodness, and beauty. The Act One program is a division of Master Media International. To financially support the mission of Act One or to learn more about our programs, visit us online at actoneprogram.com. And to learn more about the work of Master Media, go to mastermedia.com. Oh, 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 oh,